Well, hello, LTN. We are so excited to spend some time with you. My name is James Meehan, and this is my friend Brian Ketron. What's up, guys? We are a part of the content team for Switch, the student ministry of Life Church here in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And uh, we're super grateful for all of the different things that you are doing to reach people with the gospel on Twitch, on the internet, leveraging nerddom for the kingdom. Uh, one of the things that was really exciting about this past year where there were a lot of not exciting things, but it was during that year that we first entered into the world of Twitch. Mm. And it was actually Brian Ketron here, the filmmaker for Switch, who spearheaded that endeavor. And since then, we've now created a really cool community of wow. online gamers for Jesus coming together, having a ton of fun and growing better together. And none of that would have been possible without your investment in us and us getting to learn from you. And so we're excited that we get to spend some time here at LTNCon. Uh, Brian is here to basically facilitate this conversation so that A, I stay on topic and B, I stay on time because I have a tendency to talk way too long and ramble about a bunch of random things. So hopefully... This will be a valuable and uh, directed time for you as you are engaging with this content. Speaking of which, Brian Ketron. So first, wanted to just say thank you so much for the investment that you guys made mm-hmm. in our ministry. And like James said, I'm mm-hmm. uh, get to be the filmmaker here at Life Church and just love Twitch and gaming and how the church is utilizing that space. But James. Mm. What are we doing? What are we talking about today? Great question, Brian. So today we're talking about a dead Messiah, a failed hero, and the end of evil. Is that not just a brilliant title? I like it. I'm definitely, I like it. I'm definitely patting myself on the back for that one. He likes <laughs> so, it. So listen, uh, it wasn't too long ago that I was at the same time writing some discipleship content for our high school students hmm. and also watching through the Lord of the Rings Extended Edition trilogy with my wife. And the thing is, is I am a hardcore Lord of the Rings fan. I have watched so many hours of lore videos on the internet of people breaking down the history of Middle Earth and the complexity of the characters that Tolkien wrote. But I had never before this past few weeks watched all of the extended editions of the movies. Hmm. And it was an embarrassment. And so my wife, thankfully, fixed that problem. What's funny about my wife is whenever she was a little kid, she would uh, have to check into Life Kids, the Kids Ministry of Life Church, and you'd get a name tag with your name on it. And she would go into the computer and change her name from Mandy to Aragorn because she is also a hardcore Lord of the Rings fan. Wow. <laughs> and so the two of us are watching through the extended editions of the Lord of the Rings movies. And of the 11-ish hours of content, I'm pretty sure I cried for like six or seven of those hours because it was just so good. But there's this moment at the very end of The Return of the King where Frodo, the ring bearer, the protagonist of the trilogy, is there at the edge of Mount Doom getting ready to throw the ring of power into the lava and then he doesn't. Hmm. He fails. Instead of destroying the ring, he puts it on and he's consumed by the corruptive power of Sauron. And it's in that moment where there's this really weird subversion of expectations of, oh, wait, That's not how this is supposed to go. The hero usually wins, and yet in this moment, at the end of what I think most people would agree is the most influential fantasy series of all time in books and also in movies, the hero fails. And then when we look at our faith, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we see the story of Jesus, the Messiah, who entered 
history, who actually left heaven, who is the son of God in human form, who after three years of public ministry of performing miracles, casting out demons, and preaching in ways that people had never even experienced before. He draws these crowds. He calls these disciples. He proclaims the goodness of the kingdom of God. He arrives in Jerusalem, and what most people think he's going to do is kick out the Romans, throw out the corrupt religious leaders, and establish a new form of government where he will be king and his followers will be appointed to positions of authority. But that's not what happens. Jesus, at the end of this first week, uh, or of this week here in Jerusalem, is crucified on a cross. The king of creation is killed. And in that moment, every expectation was subverted because nobody expected the Messiah would be a suffering servant, right? Isaiah prophesied it, but most people had their eyes set on the Messiah being like a son of David, a conquering king who would come in to throw out the enemies and reestablish Israel as this power that it once was. But again, that's not what happened. And so there's this weird moment where we are presented with the hero of the story seemingly failing, And yet, when the story ends, what we discover is actually their failure is what led to the greatest victory that they could have asked for. Because it was on the cross of Christ that death, sin, and the devil were defeated. It was through Frodo putting the ring on his finger, being totally consumed by evil, that it actually led to Gollum attacking him and this ring then ending up in the lava. And I think what these two different scenes are trying to show us is the idea that evil is destructive by nature and that the way that evil is defeated is not by overcoming it with good, but it's actually just letting evil destroy itself. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 1.23 talks about this idea that when we preach Christ crucified, what we're preaching is something that is a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles because the idea of a dead Messiah would have been foolishness to the Jewish people. It would have been a stumbling block to the Gentiles. Uh, Reverse that. It would have been uh, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles because that's not what kings do. They don't fail, they win. And then here we are in Lord of the Rings, the return of the king, at the end of the saga, and we see the ring bearer who is holding the hope of the world in his hands, put the ring on his finger and fail. Mm -hmm. And yet that's not the end of the story because what happens next is evil is ended. Why? Because evil actually consumes itself. We see Gollum who was so consumed by his desire for the ring that he literally loses sight of what's happening, takes the ring, dances around in celebration, and falls into the fire. And then later what we read about from the Apostle Paul is this idea that if the um, powers of this age, the rulers of this age, understood what God was doing, they would not have crucified the king of glory. They would not have killed Jesus if they knew what God was up to. Because what God was up to was defeating sin, death, and the devil in ways that people wouldn't have expected. Oh. Uh, you, I know, I know that James has been waiting since the first movie dropped <laughs> to be able to pull in Lord of the Rings. Come on! And, and scripture, and let's scripture go <laughs> back together. So I know this was a big moment for oh, you. Oh, dude, I'm so excited. It's funny, though, because it's like, you know, I create content for our student ministry. 
so many of our teenagers are just unfamiliar with the Lord of the Rings. Well, this is the perfect audience. <laughs> I, know. I know it is. Well, that's why I was like, man, do I talk about like God of War being the greatest father-son story in video games? Do I talk about like this? And it's like, no, nah, we're talking about freaking a dead Messiah, failed hero, and the end of evil. Because Jesus and Frodo, not the same, but Frodo's doing some good stuff. So uh, as, you're, as you're talking about all of this, and it, it's... Uh, uh, you threw out some great ideas and some great thoughts, but why does all of this matter? Yeah, I think the reason this matters is, for one thing, in our world today, there's a lot of people who are skeptical of the things of God who are asking the question, why did Jesus have to die? Hmm. Why did Jesus have to die? And I think that's a really fair question. And depending on your theological background, um, you might just give the answer that, well, it's to satisfy the wrath of God. And while I think that that's true, what it can do is sometimes without the nuance needed— it can cause people to think that God killed Jesus. Mm. And it's this horrible caricature that people have kind of built of Christianity where they've misunderstood what was taking place. And so what they do is they pit God against Jesus, which obviously is not even close to the truth because what we believe is that our God, the God of the Bible, is a triune God. He's Trinity. He's three in one. God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Mm. God the Father is the lover. God the Son is the beloved. God the Spirit is the love that connects them together. It is this beautiful relational community that is distinct and yet also one. And so God is never opposed to Jesus. They're always working together. And so I think that nuance and context sometimes gets missed by people. And yeah. so they can think about the idea of Jesus dying and think, well, A, that seems like God's a bad guy, or B, it just seems unnecessary. Because if he's God, then why would Jesus have to die? Because if he's God, couldn't he have just snapped his fingers, metaphorically speaking, of course, uh, and ended evil all at once? And I think this is the other piece of the puzzle that's important for us to acknowledge is that the way that God has worked from the beginning of time until now is always through his human agents, his mm. human partners, right? This is why in the beginning God created human beings in his image, and he gave them the charge of ruling over creation on his behalf. Well. Adam and Eve were called to take care of, to work, to cultivate the garden and creation on God's behalf. God called a man named Abraham and said, hey, I want to use you and your descendants to bless the whole world. God called Moses to be the person that delivered the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. God used the nation of Israel to be his chosen people to represent his way of doing things to the surrounding nations. And then God became a man, hmm. and that man is Jesus. And so the way that God has always worked is through his people, because the biblical story is this beautiful joining together of the divine and humanity. And it's in that partnership, in that covenant, that God's miraculous work is done. And so it is in Jesus, who is the author of life in human form, that God entered into death and death destroyed itself. It is in Jesus that God, who is all goodness, who is without sin, who became sin on the cross to break the curse of sin so that we could be liberated from it. It was in Jesus who, through the process of not conquest, violence, and domination, but through sacrifice, forgiveness, and submission, that he actually was exalted to the throne of the world, robbing the powers of this world from the devil so that the ruler of this world could be the rightful ruler, not mm. Satan, but God in Jesus, who is exalted to the throne of God. And so the reason why this matters is because when we think about that question, why did Jesus have to die? Well, the reason why Jesus had to die is because that's the way that God works. He works through his people. And the only way that you can defeat death is not by killing it, but by 
entering it and allowing death to destroy itself because what happens when the author of life enters death? Well, death consumes itself. What happens when pure, unfiltered goodness takes on sin and allows sin to consume itself? Well, Jesus comes out on the other side. What happens if you try to overthrow the overthrower? What happens if you try to usurp the usurper? Well, it just creates this really vicious cycle. If you've ever seen Game of Thrones, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And so that's why the ways that Jesus worked were radically different than the ways of the world. Mm. He presented a kingdom that stood in stark contrast to the kingdoms of this world. And this is what's so important for us to understand is that the uh, methods of this world will never actually achieve God's mission. If we want to achieve God's mission, we cannot use the methods of this world. We have to use the methods of Jesus. What are the methods of this world? Well, it's might makes right. It's if you have the power, you're the man or woman of the hour. It's conquest. It's manipulation. It's domination. But the methods of God's kingdom are sacrifice, forgiveness, and submission, right? In Ephesians chapter 6, the apostle Paul talks about this idea that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, the powers, the authorities of this dark world. And so if we are waging war, not against other people, but against these dark forces of sin, death, and the devil, how do we wage that war? Well, the way that we do it is we follow in the way of Jesus. Colossians 2.15, the Apostle Paul talks about this idea that it was on the cross that God disarmed the powers and authorities of this world. That it was through Jesus' self-giving sacrifice that the powers of sin, death, and the devil were disarmed. Where God basically took their power from them by allowing himself to die, by becoming sin, and taking the way of sacrifice and submission. And it was through that process that somehow God's methods were able to achieve his mission of rescuing humanity from sin and restoring the world back to himself. Now, obviously, this is all in process because what we know is that, yes, the ultimate victory was won on the cross, but the battle is still waging and we've got work to do as followers mm -hmm. of Jesus because until Jesus returns to finish what he started, we have been invited into the process of advancing his kingdom and inviting other people to be a part of it. So I, I you've shared some, some great verses uh and I think as I'm thinking about it, I'm, I'm wondering, okay, so some great thoughts, but how do I apply this to my mm. like life daily? Come on. Such a great question. I can find myself talking super conceptually a lot of times. <laughs> <laughs> and so I like questions like that to bring it back down to earth. And so when I think about this idea, I think about how as followers of Jesus, we are called to follow Jesus. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> Seems to make sense, doesn't it? And I, and I think this is the thing that's so tough is like for, for many of us, if you're anything like me where you can be a very um, kind of conceptual person where you like to think a lot, hmm. it can be really easy to reduce faith to thinking the right things, to believing the right things. But the thing that's interesting about the way the Bible talks about faith is that it is so much more than simply agreement with an idea. Faith is talked about as if it is commitment to a person. So the way that I think about faith in Jesus is less like believing two plus two equals four. And it's more like trusting the best about my wife and doing everything I can to love and serve her well. Mm -hmm. And so this is the way that I like to think about faith. Faith is trust based on evidence that produces obedience. So in James chapter two, James talks about this idea that um, if you have faith without works, then your faith is dead. Is James yeah. saying that faith is the result of works? No, absolutely not. What he's saying is that works are the result of faith. So that if your faith does not move you to doing good things, if it doesn't move you to obedience to your heavenly father, then your faith is not real. 
And so I think that's the thing that's important to recognize is that if I really trust that God is good, that Jesus is Lord, then my life will change in response to that. If I am declaring allegiance to King Jesus, then the fruit of that allegiance will be obedience. Now, Mm -hmm. the way that some theologians have talked about this idea is called cruciformity, cruciformity. And it comes from crucifixion, so cross, and then formity being formed, so cross-shaped. And so They talk about this idea that as followers of Jesus, we are called to a cruciform life, to a cross-shaped life, meaning we are called to live our lives shaped by the cross of Christ. Mm. The Apostle Paul, I think it's in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, yep, I got it right here, says that I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so what the Apostle Paul is doing here is he's presenting to us this picture of what life in the kingdom of God is supposed to look like, of what life as followers of Jesus is supposed to be. It is a life shaped by the cross. Now, what does that look really practically like in our day-to-day lives? Well, I think we can go later in that same letter to the Galatian church in chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, where the Apostle Paul says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Mm. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit and you will not desire the gratify or you will not uh, gratify the desires of the flesh. <laughs> and, and here's what's interesting too, because I think sometimes even the idea of walking by the Spirit can be so conceptual mm. that we don't know how to make it practical. Here's the really practical way to understand walking in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit is simply walking according to the commands of Jesus. If we are obeying the commands he's given us, then we will be walking in the Spirit. And it's later in this chapter where the Apostle Paul talks about the fruit that comes from walking in the spirit, that when we actually take the words of Jesus seriously, when we live them out in our daily lives, when we choose to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourself, then what will be produced in our lives are the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, that those will be the outcome of choosing to walk in the spirit, choosing to live according to the words of Jesus. And so super practically, how do we live a cruciform life? Well, we follow the example of Jesus by loving our neighbors as ourselves. We follow the example of Jesus by putting other people first. We love other people the same way that God through Christ has loved us. How did he love us? Humbly, sacrificially, and unconditionally. And if you want to get even more basic, I like to think of this as racing to be at the back of the line, (laughs) right? So like my thing is, uh, Anytime we are getting ready to eat and there's like this line to go get food and you got to like walk through the line, just a really simple basic thing that I do is I always try to go last. Hmm. And it's just a really simple way for me to think about, okay, as a follower of Jesus, I want to let other people go first. Hmm. I want to be the person who races to the back of the line because I want to be the kind of person that puts the needs of others before my own desires. And so I, that's, that's a super simple way that I do it. Maybe for you, it just looks like being nice to people online. I remember after I got saved, uh, I was super into the first Dark Souls game. <laughs> and I would PvP all the time on that game. And I had so much fun just stomping noobs. And then I got saved. And I realized that when they sent hate to me, and I just trash-talked them back, that I was not actually representing Jesus well. And so what I did is I just changed the way I responded to their hate messages. 
and I just started being really kind. And, like, I made a bunch of friends by responding to their hate with love. And it's so funny to think about where it was just a tiny little shift in my behaviors. I would still go as hard as I could. Like, I am a freaking try hard when it comes to Dark Souls PvP 1v1 me, bro. And it's so fun for me. But what I had to recognize is that even in those little moments, how I respond to somebody being upset with me because I wrecked them in Dark Souls is a way for me to follow the example of Jesus or Mm. to gratify the desires of the flesh because it always felt really good to just respond to trash talk with more trash talk. Half the fun for me in gaming is trash talking people. Mm. (laughs) And so I've had to learn to give that up, to sacrifice that so that instead of being a trash talker, I can be an encourager. Now when I play games with people, I try to be so ruthlessly encouraging because if I'm not saying something nice, I'm going to say something negative. Mm. I'm not the kind of person who can say nothing. I have to say something. So I've just tried to replace the negative things with nice things. And so there's some super practical ways that I'm personally trying to live out the cruciform life, the life shaped by the cross. Because when I think about the example of Jesus and what he showed us during his three-year ministry on earth, the time after he was resurrected and spent with his disciples before sending them out to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth, what I think about is somebody who always put the needs of others first. And every step of the way, what Jesus was doing was using the methods of the kingdom to accomplish the mission of the kingdom. Because when we attempt to accomplish God's mission using the world's methods, we will fall short every single time. Very cool. So you got to talk Lord of the Rings. You got to talk Dark Souls. Mm. Pretty good day for you. It's a real good day for me. Real good day for me. Seriously, thank you guys so much for letting us be a part of this. We're excited that we get to be a part of this mission of reaching people with the gospel through all sorts of technology, leveraging our nerddom for the kingdom. It's a really fun thing to be a part of, and we're thankful that we got to spend time with you. For sure. Thanks, guys. See y'all. Thank you.